Good morning. I hope everybody's enjoying the morning. Um, we are continuing in our Compelled by Christmas series, and today we're going to look at a text um, that isn't, I think, a part of the traditional Christmas narrative, and yet it is Christmas, and it's, it's so beautifully Christmas. And, and so today we're going to have... Um, a look at John 1, and then the panel is going to kind of have a discussion. This is the final week of the, the panel, and I know there's a collective, aww. Yeah, there it is. Um, <laughs> and, and next week, we'll, we'll go back to kind of our, our traditional sermon service. So um, enjoy, enjoy uh, John chapter 1 this morning. So let me, let me read um, John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at 1 through verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Lord, as we ponder Your Word today, I pray that You would illuminate Your Word Speak within our hearts and convict us. Enlighten us, Lord, that we might love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. Yeah, this is Nashwan. Pastor Matt's <laughs> reminding me to remind you that this is Nashwan. And he doesn't join us as much up on the stage because he works a lot harder at English than we do, um, but we're, we're thankful and grateful that you're joining us today with us, brother. Thank you. Nashwan's been a church planting resident with us since March, and he and Mark are working together to launch uh, an initiative um, in the Toledo area amongst Arabic peoples, so uh, thanks for joining us this morning. You know, Nashwan brings a unique perspective to our discussion that you're going to hear in a few minutes. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. So this text is, it's striking right off from the beginning, right? Because it starts with, in the beginning. And it's intentional. John wants to draw us back to Genesis, back to creation, back to the eternal God who has always existed and in a moment spoke everything into being. And he's saying, look, something new is going to happen but this new thing is actually from of old. You see, this new baby, this new king, is actually the God who created everything from the very beginning, who has always existed, 
who has revealed himself to man throughout all of the Old Testament. That same God is the one coming to us in this baby. So when it uses the word eternal logos, this is what it's talking about, the word, right? And, and you think about Colossians 1.19 where it kind of explains this a little bit. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness, the fullness of God dwell in him. And so the same God who has always existed, who created and ordered everything, came into the flesh. And so when I think about the, the eternal logos, you know, taking on the flesh, you know, God taking on flesh, you know, what impact does that have on me in, in this Advent season? You know, we just celebrated the, the clausing extended family uh, Christmas uh, yesterday, so I'm coming off of that. And it was actually a really joyful time, and, and I was appreciative of that because I think I grew up kind of almost feeling entitled, right? Almost like every single year, oh, I should get something. And it's really weird because I like never asked for anything, but I always expected something, right? And, and the more I ponder this, it's like, man, God came in the flesh for me and gave me everything. I, I shouldn't be wanting something. I should be wanting to honor him and give praise to him. The gifts are going to the wrong place. And, and part of that entitlement starts to wane. And I start to think, okay, I, I can just enjoy whatever someone gives me because I have what I need in Christ Jesus. And I just want to honor him regardless of what happens when I sit down with my family, regardless of what happens as I go throughout my day. Um, the other thing that I think struck me about this is just Man, I want to remember the eternal Logos, the, the God in the flesh who has always existed when I read the rest of the New Testament, right? When I see a parable, when I see, um, you know, just uh, his interaction with, with the adulterous woman even. Like, this is the God of the universe who's speaking to this woman, right? Who says, ye who has, is without sin should cast the first stone. Like, that's the God of the universe speaking. Like, it just kind of raises the level of, of all of the passages that we read about Jesus. And it just, I don't know, I'm just really encouraged by that. Um, I don't know, how do, how do you guys yeah. kind of embrace this eternal logos during uh, Christmas? I wonder, I mean, as you were talking about entitlement, um, it just struck in me this, man, what, it, what is it in me that doesn't fully apprehend this word that became flesh, this, this logos, logos, the, the stuff, the stuff, the meaning of life? You know, what, is it, what is it in my own soul that doesn't apprehend this? Because you would think that if I truly understood who Jesus really is, I wouldn't need anything. But yet, I feel awfully needy all the time, you know, uh, or feel entitled that I deserve more, or I, I didn't sign up for this God. You know, I just see all these n negative attitudes rising up in me. So, uh, I, I guess when I'm thinking about that, Mark, and you're talking, it's, it makes me want to go back to figuring this out, to, to hmm. study more in depth of who Jesus is, because I think if I fully understood that, perhaps that would, like you said, just almost dissolve the entitlement attitude in my heart. Um, 
So I guess it, it makes me think, what am I missing? You know, hmm. what, what am I missing about who Jesus is that, that is hindering me from, you know, fully just, yeah, I'm good. I'm all good in Jesus. What else do I need? You know, kind of a thing. I think that's a real challenge of the Christian life. Um, and I don't know how that, that, that's in us, that, mm-hmm. that's in our DNA, I guess, to want a little more. Mm. And uh, the wealthy Nelson Rockefeller, when asked once, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Mm. Guy who had everything you could think of. And we see that in our own children and grandchildren at Christmas. Mm. You know, they open a present and <laughs> they're like, ah. And then if they see more under the tree, you know, that one goes and they're into the next one. Because there's just something about it. It's in our it's like, DNA. Do you know how much I but... paid for that one? And you just kind of <laughs> threw it off to the side? Yeah. But you know, that's so, so different than um, those in Scripture who really do find their completeness in God. Um, I think of Asaph in Psalm 73. He wrote that, and he's the one who said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth, God, has nothing I desire but you. That's kind of our challenge, mm. isn't it? To mm. so find our fulfillment and our satisfaction in Jesus Christ that the gimmies just, mm. just kind of go away. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, and we have a God, and, and often it, it's, it's his revelation of himself that I think does that work in us, right? It's, it's that fresh vision of who God is that... That uh, appearance, right? And so even when, when I read this, as I go into the holiday season, like it's that vision of who God is that just kind of changes my attitude and changes my heart. Mm-hmm. And, and God is about revealing. And in this passage, I don't think we can, be, we can mistake the, the fact that it, it, we see light everywhere, right? I, I don't know how many times it's mentioned. I didn't count. I probably should have. Like, I don't know, eight, ten times light is mentioned in there. And so it says Christ, who is the light, entered into the darkness. Entered into the darkness. And, and so in a season where we have so little light, right? I don't know, maybe eight hours. It feels like eight hours of, of light. And it, so lots and lots of darkness. We see Jesus entering in, in with light. And so my question is, is for you, Nashwan, how can all the lights that you see this season remind you of the light of Jesus Christ. How can you use these opportunities to testify to the light of Christ? If we go back to the Genesis 1, chapter 1, 2, verse 3, we will see that the earth was covered in darknesses. And by the word of God, this is the Jesus, the light was created and the light filled the create and the earth Jesus is the light that removed the darknesses he is the real light and I give you an example the sun and the moon the moon take light from the sun but the moon is not the sun that gives the light. When I saw the light in Iraq and here in the United States, especially in these days, they reminded me of joy, hope, love,
peace. And it was reminding me that Jesus is the one who lights my way in the midst of, midst of darknesses. When I hated Muslim because of persecution, I was in the midst of the darkness. But when I know Jesus, all my life became light. And I could love rather than hate. Jesus has always been the light that lights my way. He is my heart and he is my heart and my mind. He changed everything in my life. When we go to the Matthew 5, 14, he said Jesus that we have become the light to the world through Jesus. We must speak and do as Jesus spoke. I want to encourage every Christian, everyone here, to go today to his home and search in his deep for dark place and ask the Lord Jesus to come and let the place with his light and remove the darknesses. For example, I ask the Lord Jesus to fill my, me with love, forgiveness, and acceptance for other life and other person. If you hate someone and you cannot love him or forgive him, I told you now, go now and pray that Jesus will give you the strength to love and forgive the person. Brother, <laughs> that's kind of a mic drop moment, isn't it? We're done here. Let's yeah, go home. So I think we got um, this. Jeez. That's a wrap. Because if you don't know Nashwan's story, mm. if you haven't heard that yet, mm. this man grew up as a Christian in Iraq, a predominantly Muslim country. And we all would acknowledge that most of us fear the radical element of Islam. And we blame them for a lot. Well, Nashwan was persecuted by the radical Islamists. He has scars on his body from that. And if anybody would have a reason to live in hate and stay in darkness, hmm. he would have that reason. And he just testified to us about the light of Christ hmm. that lifts him up and out of that so he can forgive hmm. and love and now working with Mark is going to move towards that people group with the light of Christ. Whew. That's so powerful. It's really a personal testimony of verse 5, if you still have your scripture open, that says the light shines in the darkness, yeah. and the darkness has not overcome it. Because when the light of God comes into contact with the darkness of sin, light always wins. Sin will, the darkness will never overcome the light. And thank you for your testimony and your incredible faithfulness. And I think for me practically, that's why of all the symbols at Christmas time, I think I love Christmas lights as, as much as anything. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you don't go to see one of the drive-through Christmas light places in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> you wait till it's dark, because then the lights are more magnificent. They're more splendid. They're more elevating. And what a beautiful thing. So as you plug in your Christmas lights this year, as you drive around to look at them, as you take your children or your grandchildren to somebody's house to see the lights, just remember what they really do symbolize. It's the light of Christ that overcomes every darkness. Yeah, you saying that reminded me of something I did with my kids. You know, we don't live that far from Ruley Park. Right? So it's getting dark out, but I still want to go on a walk. But when I get home, it's already dark out. So we go on a walk, and the first time we did that, the kids are like, wait a second, what are we going to do? We can't see anything. I'm like, ah, just wait. So we walk through the park, and I'm like, we don't need any additional light. Like, that provides all the light that we need. And it led to some really good conversation just about the light of Christmas and, um, and, and just the, the light of the wise men and Jesus being the light. So it was a really cool opportunity to redeem you know, some of the, the lights that are out there, like there's, there's a pig. I don't know. It's cool, but uh, redeem Merry that. Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so much light in Christ. I don't know what so pigs much. have to do. I don't so know what much. pigs have to do with lights. I don't know. I'm trying to move it on. I'm trying to move it on here. <laughs> you lost me there for a second. I know, second. I know, like, I know. Pig I know. Christmas lights? I don't know. <laughs> um. But Jesus' birth was the, the light coming down mm. in the darkness. Mm. It, it really, truly was, and he comes in our darkness too. And so in many ways, the birth of Jesus wasn't just his birth, but in kind of our birth mm. too. Mm-hmm. We were kind of born in <laughs> mm-hmm. because of his birth and mm. him coming in. And so I don't think he came, and we know he didn't come for justification to kind of hang out on earth and make some friends. You know, it, he had a purpose, that those who would receive him would have the right to become children of God. So how can God's gift of bringing new birth elevate our understanding of Christmas this year? Yeah, that's a great question. I, to be honest, I don't know why we don't use this passage more at Christmas time, hmm. because so much of this is Christmas-themed. Absolutely. The light, clearly, and gifts, like we, especially in the Western culture, giving gifts and receiving gifts is so prominent. And yet maybe a great question to ask your kids or your grandkids or maybe even yourself is, what's the best gift you could ever be given? What do you think? And we asked that to our senior hires. Like, what do you want this Christmas? One kid wanted a car. And another guy, a whole small group of guys wanted a girlfriend. Just <laughs> 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 quite funny. Uh, you know, it's like... All right, dudes, maybe not the best way to share that. Um, but anyways, but we always kind of think of that. But, but man, I was talking to my kids about this the other day. Like, what is the best? And I, I love this passage in verse 12 that, that Jesus came to be received. Hmm. People rejected him, and men loved the darkness more than the light, which John goes on to say in chapter 3. But, but to those who did receive him, he gave that right to become children of God. What does that mean? You could just ponder that for a day or two during Christmas season. What does it mean to receive Jesus? I think we think of Christmas gifts around, when does the Christmas gift really become yours, right? Mm. When you receive it, when you grab it, when you open it, when you tear it open and you actually see what's inside. Uh, Now, certainly this is all God's doing. It's not from natural birth or anything like that. He said it's from the Spirit. It's God's purposes to accomplish this. So you don't make yourself a Christian, 
But there is an aspect of receiving it that's part of it. And I want to believe this. I don't just believe the facts that Jesus died or that he came to the earth, but I want to receive this in my life by meditating on and and believing and trusting in him. And what happens when you're given the right as a child of God? What does that mean? When we we sing songs about that, like, I'm a child of God, right, 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 yeah, yeah. What What does that mean, though, that you are a child of God? Have you ever stopped to think about that? You know, you think about adoption. When, it, when an orphan has no family, they, they have no future. They have no hope, right? But when you are adopted into the family of God, you have a hope and you have a future. Scripture says that we are given an inheritance from God, which for me as a guy who's worried about the future and a guy that struggles with anxiety and is like, everything looks bleak right now, what's going to happen next? That gives me such hope as a child of yeah. God that my future is certain. In Jesus. I have an inheritance. I know what's happening in the future. I don't have to doubt that. I know how the end of the story uh, works itself out. So, so that's one aspect of being a child of God that elevates my understanding of Christmas. I think another thing is that I have access to my Father anytime I want. That when you're a child of God, the, the cosmic God of the universe is your dad. <laughs> you know? That's just amazing to me. It's an amazing, it's amazing truth. Um, I remember my dad was a pastor at his church in Fort Myers, and, and one day I broke out of the nursery and ran down the, the middle of the aisle to him, and all the people were like, who is that child? And it was the pastor's son, and so my dad came down and got me, and, you know, I was whatever, one or two. It's not like, but it was such an amazing thing. Like, I had access to the guy on stage, even though I was a little kid in a nursery, because it's my dad. It's the same with you, that when you're a child of God, you have access to the Father, you could be with him and, be, and, and come to him anytime you want. I don't know. Those two for me, I think future and that access to God uh, really light me up as I ponder just what it means to be a child of God. I don't know. As you guys think about that child of God, what, what really hits you? Yeah, I think it, it, it gives us a way to think about it as we move towards God who's moved towards us. Um, but when, when I think of, you know, we call Jesus the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does that mean? It means something quite a bit different than our child-parent relationship. Because Father and Son are one in the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. which is a mystery we can't fully explain. But when we say the G- Father God and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, there's somehow, there's an intimacy there that way supersedes mm-hmm our earthly relationships, and yet we're invited into that. And so by God putting on flesh, giving us the right to become the children of God, it's like an entry portal into this incredible intimacy, and that kind of leads into the next thing we're going to talk about, that that John really um, kind of unfolds and unpacks throughout his gospel. So I'll I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool to think about he, he gave us the right. That means we didn't have the right. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's right. A gift. Yeah. That right was a gift. Mm. And you know, I wanna I wanna receive it well. Mm. You know, we kind of talked about kids opening one gift and kind of tossing <laughs> it aside to open the next one. Mm. Right? And it's like, ah, man, I, I just wanna receive this gift really well from God. Mm. I wanna be mm-hmm. grateful. I wanna have that that gratitude. Um and, and it's the kind of gift that you give to others, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
Like, hey, that gift's under your tree. You can receive that. You can receive access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Man, wouldn't that be a great thing to see relatives and loved ones to, to, to receive Jesus? And if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, you can do that by faith in him. By just coming to him and saying, think about that gift. Jesus, I want to receive you in my life. I want to know you. I want to experience your presence in my life. Maybe you've gone to church all your life and you've never actually received him, you know? What a beautiful thing. You could do that today. Yeah. Sorry, I had to plug that. No, it's, it's quite really, the, it's really good. It's quite the Christmas if that would, mm-hmm. that would happen. Certainly memorable. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yeah, Matt kind of hinted at um, the next question. We're, we're going to talk about God's eminence. And you're like, oh, eminence, that's not a word I use. It's not a word I use either. Um, but if we, we think about God, right, this passage starts with the God of the universe who created everything. And we, we kind of call that transcendent God, right? This God who is so different. None of us have created anything close to all of creation. And so we notice and see just how other and apart he is from us, right? How can I possibly relate to a God who's like that? And yet... The same God who is transcendent, completely holy, completely other than us, desires and longs to be with us, to be a part of us, to be relatable to us in every single way. And when he put on flesh, as it says in verse 14, he, he, the, the transcendent God became very imminent, very close to us. It's just beautiful to think of, of that truth. And it's, man, we could talk about this forever. We're going to try to keep it to, to 10 minutes. I don't know. We'll see how we do. But, but Matt, how does God's eminence affect the way you see yourself um, before God? John does such a great job in this passage, helping us understand this. And eminence is not a word you'll find in scripture, nor is um, it's a more of a theological term. But just as transcendence means this high and away and above, as Mark described, this holy God. Uh, the, the amazing thing about Christmas is that that guy, that far away above all holy transcendent being, came to us. And not only came near us, but the idea of imminence, if you look up the word imminence in your dictionary, it means existing within. Hmm. Hmm. And so what happens in the incarnation is God comes to exist within human flesh. It's not just a pony up beside of us. He comes in us. And so John does this amazing job of helping his readers understand this in verse 14, the last verse that Mark read. The word became flesh, this eternal logos, this expression of God, put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word literally means to pitch a tent. Or for the Jewish mind, it would have meant to, he came to tabernacle amongst us. And let me just refresh you about that. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, and they lived in the wilderness for 40 years, they lived in tents, and they maybe would live a few months in a place, a couple years maybe, and they all pitched their tents. And God gave Moses a very specific arrangement for how they were supposed to pitch their tents. And if you would have had a an aerial view of it, you would have seen the 12 tribes of Israel encamped like spokes of a wagon wheel. So it was a round community, and each of the 12 tribes was like one of the spokes going out from the center. And in the center, or the hub of the encampment, 
was the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. So when John says the word, this eternal expression of God became flesh and tabernacled among us, it means that the Jewish mind was like, oh yeah, God was at the center of the community. And now he's come in flesh, even more central to us, coming in us. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about Christmas. And then John unfolds this idea of imminence existing within throughout his gospel, as none of the other gospel authors do. And um, it really kind of culminates um, for me in John 17, which is Jesus' prayer the night before he was crucified. And if you study that, what he prayed for all of us, because he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for those who had come to know him through those disciples, that's us. He prayed for this same thing, this imminence. He said, Father, may they be one as we are one. I in you, you in them, them in us. What? That's all this theme of imminence, of existing within. And so God came in flesh because he wants us to come into him. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, imminent in him, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then Paul even called this a mystery in Colossians 1, 27. He says, this is the mystery that I proclaim to you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is this imminence that God desires. He wants to exist within us, wants us to exist within him in this incredible, mysterious union. Christmas, the incarnation, was the beginning of that was God literally coming to dwell, not just in camp within his people, but to dwell in his people for eternity. So don't lose sight of that this Christmas. <laughs> this is an amazingly profound event that uh, God did when he came in flesh. Yeah, when I think of a lot of the other um, religions that we see on earth, a lot of them are... <laughs> are us trying to get to God are us trying to get to God because they understand God's transcendence but they have a hard time understanding how he can become close um, and I know you have uh, a lot more um, work coming from a place where, where Christianity wasn't the primary religion you know in the Quran it uh, says that Allah is closer than the jugular. But really the Quran speaks of how distant Allah is from men. What is it like for Muslim when they begin to understand how close the God of the Bible is? The Muslim is the one who builds the wall between him and the God. But God, through Jesus, his son, who broke this wall and came to our land in the form of the human being. <laughs> As well in Islam, a human is the one who searches for God by his workers. But in Christianity, it is different. God is one who searches for a human. He came 
in mm. his land and to search for us. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just thought, I've heard you say this all morning, but God came to us by his works, mm. by the work of his son. Mm. Wow, very different. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Christian life is receiving that, being found. I'm not searching for you. You're searching for me. I, he finds me, mm. and I receive him. It's just a beautiful, it was a beautiful picture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, on that note, I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. I think that was pretty good. Good work. <laughs> All right, let me, let me pray as the band um, comes up and we, we ponder this. Lord God, I just, I just thank you that you have come near to us. You were intentional about that. You didn't just leave us in darkness because uh, it was so dark we couldn't find our way out, Lord. We wouldn't even know where the switch is, but you instead, being the source of all light, came to us that we may receive you. And I pray, Lord, that um, this Christmas we would do that. We would do it afresh. Um, We would receive you again and again and again. You are so good. And I pray, Lord, as as we sing praises to your name, that we would be pondering. Um, the truth of your word, that you came and dwelled in the flesh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.